Well, good evening and Merry Christmas. How are you all doing tonight? We're so very grateful to be with you and to celebrate who we believe to be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus is his name. Thank you so much on behalf of all of us that call this church home for being with us tonight. My name is Ricky Jenkins, and we're excited to wish you and yours a most joyous and wondrous Merry Christmas. If you are excited about Christ, and maybe you haven't found that moment to give his name praise, and so far that he invaded time, matter, and space to come and redeem us, I just thought it'd be cool. If we're here, we may as well have church. If you are grateful for the birth of Jesus, would you join me in putting your hands together to applaud his name and to give his name praise and honor and glory that he has come into the world. Uh, thank you for everything that you've enjoyed. I should hope that when you leave here, if someone were to beg the question, what did you see? I should hope that you would say you saw a whole bunch of people who were in love with Jesus. And when they ask you about the message, just tell them that that guy was a nobody who just tried to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. If you'll give me about 15 minutes, I want to beg you to consider what it means for you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They have given me a 15, 20 minute time limit to the black preacher from Mississippi. That's what we call cruel and unusual punishment, but we will do what we can with what uh, we have. But first, let's kind of do some celebrations and just thank God for some people who have really sacrificed so much for us to be here. Um, our staff here at Southwest has been literally working around the clock. Would you join me in applauding them and giving God thanks for them and for their families who sacrificed much time for them to be here? Literally, it takes about 250, 300 volunteers to pull Christmas Eve off. So would you join me giving a round of applause to all of the volunteers who made tonight possible as well? Well, let's go ahead and get into it. Luke chapter two is where I'm gonna be for a few moments. I wanna encourage you through the Christmas season. We are almost done with Christmas. We're excited about it. Anybody else happy to see Christmas come, but then you're just kind of happy to see it go so you get... Just, okay, no, just, anyways, I know that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, but can I get a witness that it can also be the most stressful time of the year? Can, can I get a, I saw the parking lot tonight and almost turned around witness up in here. Where are my parents at who have kids at home with them? Not 40-year-old kids, but four-year-old kids. Where, where are those where are those parents at? Can I get a, the school system, let my kids out for two weeks and I'm still mad at them? witness. It is the most wonderful time of the year, but we understand that it can be the most stressful time of the year. Here's my encouragement before we go to God's word tonight. I encourage you to pray through it and laugh through it. Keep praying to God and keep finding those ways to laugh, to keep your spirit up, to get you on through the Christmas season. It reminds me of the story of uh, a little boy who for Christmas uh, desperately wanted a brand new blue bicycle and he goes to say mom dad can I please have a blue bicycle for Christmas to which his parents reply son uh, money's kind of short this year but we believe in God uh, so son you pray to the Lord and perhaps God will bring you a blue bicycle now the problem with this little boy was that he did not know how to pray and so he decided that he'd surf some channels to find a church service on TV so he could learn 
how to pray. And he stumbles across this channel whereby uh, a high liturgical church service was going on. This is the pipe organ and the choir robes and the these and the thous. And he watches that church service. He gets on his knees that night and he, and he prays like they prayed. And he says, God of Abraham, <laughs> God of Isaac and God of Jacob, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Thou who hast made all things perfected in thy marvelous grace, O great God, I pray thee that thou wouldst bequeath upon me thy faithful servant a beautiful blue bicycle. In the name of Christ, the Son of the living God, I pray thee now. Amen. Wakes up the next morning, no blue bicycle. Okay? He decides he'll flip channels and he finds uh, a charismatic church. And they got the tambourine swinging and all the, you know, the, 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 the flags are waving and all that good stuff. And he watches this charismatic service and he gets on his knees that night and he says, in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, I stand on authority right now. I decree it and I declare it. I name it and I claim it. I blab it and I grab it. I speak it into existence, a blue bicycle, right now in Jesus' name. Woo! Amen. Wakes up the next morning, no blue bicycle. He's about to give up. He says, let me just try one more church. It's another high church service, and there's a priest there. And the priest has on the vestments and all the rigmarole. And then it reminds him, it hits him that, man, my mom's got a statuette of Mary on her dresser. So he runs into his mother's room and he steals the statue of Mary and he runs into the backyard and he buries the statue of Mary deep in a hole. And that night he gets down on his knees and he prays, God, if you ever want to see your mother again, <laughs> pray through it and laugh through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, if you will, I'm going to be out of Luke chapter 2, and I think it would just be remiss were we not to just take a few pregnant moments, no pun intended, uh, to talk about Jesus. I am asking your permission to allow me to beg you to consider the worth, as we beg this question that we beg this time of year, what is the significance of the birth of Jesus Christ what I'd like to do is talk to you about the true meaning of Christmas. After all, the word is Christmas, Christ's mass. Can I get a witness that, it, that it's not shopping must? It, it's not Santa must. Uh, can I go another further? It's not Amazon must. It, it is Christmas. Let us talk about Jesus. For as one scholar said it best, if you can get Christmas... You can get Christianity. It is 2,000 years ago. It is a possibly dark and cold night. Two disparate teenagers have traversed the terrain of the 90-mile track from Galilee all the way down to Bethlehem. Motel 6 has not left the light on, and so they've had to steal away to plausibly a cave where, as the carol has said, the cattle are lowing, and the baby awakes the little Lord Jesus. No crying he makes. They are confused. They are dazed. They are worried, but then the water breaks, 
and out comes a baby. And maybe Mary stares over at Joseph and says, maybe what the angels had hinted to us is real. And maybe this little baby in a manger could be the hope of the world. Luke has faithfully captured the episode and he writes to us these words. Hear now the word of the Lord. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. The scriptures say that she wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. I have read from the greatest book ever written. I bear witness this day. All of its words are true. Amen? Amen. If you love somebody, you'll do whatever it takes to be with them. If you love somebody, you will do whatever it takes to be with them. Uh, One more time for the Holy Ghost. If you love somebody, you'll do whatever it takes to be with them. It was three days uh, before Christmas, and this old man uh, calls his son to deliver some very fateful news. His son picks up the phone, and it's then that the old man says, Son, I'm so sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but your mother and I have made a decision, and we need to let you know that we are getting a divorce. It's been 45 years, and it's just not working out, son. We're washing our hands clean of the whole thing. We are getting a divorce. The son says, Dad, what are you talking about, a divorce? You two are happy. We've known nothing but joy and conciliation in your marriage. What do you mean to tell me that you are getting, you can't do this, Dad. There's no way you're getting a divorce. The dad says, son, it's been 45 years of sheer misery. We are tired of talking about this. We are tired of working on this. We're just trying to give you a courtesy. Call your sister and let her know your mother and I are getting a divorce. He hangs up the phone. The son calls his big sister. He goes into the story. They begin to conspire together as to how they'll respond to this news. It is then that the big sister immediately calls her dad, and with a fist in the air on the telephone, she says, Dad, my brother just called me, and I'm here to tell you, you are not getting a divorce. It is not going to happen. You are not calling a lawyer. You are not filing papers. You're not going to separate. You're not moving out. This is not going to happen. I just spoke with my brother. We have purchased plane tickets. We're flying in tomorrow. We're bringing all the kids. There's no way this is going to happen. No way whatsoever. Hangs up the phone in her father's face. It's then that the old man looks across at his wife and says, honey, it worked. (laughs) Both kids are flying in tomorrow. They're bringing all our grandchildren. And guess what? They're paying their own way. (laughs) 
if you love somebody, you'll do whatever it takes to be with them. As we come to our passage and as we consider the trappings of a manger and hay and animals and two disparate teenagers, don't you see that all Luke is trying to do is to tell us the greatest story that God loved us so much that he did whatever it takes so that he can be with us. If you'll give me seven minutes to beg you to put your trust and faith in a God who right now will do whatever it takes to be with you. Three things I want to talk to you about, table of contents for our time. I think Luke is screaming to us that our God is the great God. I think he's screaming to us that the great God on Christmas Day came near to his creation. And then he bids us to consider this question before we go tonight. How will you respond? I'd like to tag this text, the God who came near. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, open up the hearts of men and women, boys and girls, and give them, Lord, a realization that you are real, that you have come for them, and that you're coming again, and help them to make the greatest decision they can ever make to put their trust in Jesus tonight, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. And every heart said, amen. amen. I, I think what the author is doing in this passage and in the trappings of the nativity, I think what he's doing is that he is screaming to us that this God is great. I think if you'll give me a few minutes to go to the classroom, and I promise we're going to go to church, but I think behind the curtains, underneath the hood of this, this scene that's saturated in simplicity, it is magnificently meager. If you don't mind me being frank, it is perfectly pitiful. The Christ child clothed in swaddling cloths in abject poverty at risk of his own life on the first day of his life. But I think what Luke is doing is saying, pay attention. This is the great God. Stay with me in the classroom for a few more minutes. I promise we're going to church. But this, I think, is the ultimate lesson for us tonight. Look at it on screen. It's this idea that you cannot appreciate the nativity of Jesus until you appreciate the divinity of Jesus. The lesson is this. We would be hard-pressed to consider this context that Jesus is in until we first consider the context that Jesus has left. He is screaming to us that this is the great God of heaven. Now, it's familiar territory. It's a famous passage, right? There's the donkeys and there's the oxen, perhaps. There are the sheep. There are the, the hay there and the stable there. We're plausibly on a hill, maybe in a cave behind the little dusty inn of the podunk town of Bethlehem. But I think that Luke is saying to the Coachella Valley tonight that this is the great God who stopped at nothing to come and be among the people that he created. It's this idea that God is great. Now, how do I know that? Because in about 10 verses, there'll be some shepherds out there in over their flock having a bad night, and here they are, and all of a sudden an angel to the tune of multitudes will appear out of thin air and say, shepherds, wake up. This is the Holy One of Israel. This is
is the great God. This is the Messiah that Isaiah said was coming in chapter 9. I want you to go over there, shepherds, but don't let this manger fool you. He is the mighty one of Israel. Don't let the stable deceive you. He is the one who Daniel said is the, the ancient of days. This is the same God who stepped out on nothing and created everything with a word. This is the same God who with a word flung galaxies and trillions of stars into existence. This is the same God who parted the Red Sea. This is the same God who made blinded eyes walk. See, this is the same God who used that rock that David flung to pierce the head of Goliath. This is the same God who created the entire world. This is the same God. I mean, no offense, evolutionists. I actually believe in the Big Bang Theory. My God is big. And one day my God said, bang. And as my granddaddy said, how else can a black cow eat green grass and put out white milk? There must be a God somewhere. And I serve notice to this valley that he is real. He is God and he is the great one. Hallelujah. He is the great God of Israel who put himself in a manger for you, who put himself in a dusty confine with animals for you. The message is this. He's great, but he's also good. He's king, but he's also kind. He is Lord, but he is also loving. I did some studying this year, and they say more plausibly than not, first century Palestine, a manger would not have been a wooden trough at all. In fact, mangers were simply what they would do. They would just dig out soil out of the earth, and they would then allow the animals to come drink. It is plausible that Jesus is not in a wooden trough. Jesus is in a hole. Here's the message. I love you. I like you. I've created you and I have ordained your life in such a way that the only way your life is going to make sense is insofar that your life is tethered to me. And this is why I know he's great because this great God on Christmas night came near to us. God came near to us. I'm looking at Mary and Joseph, and we have all these pictures of the nativity as if it was just a honky-dory, wonderful night. I don't think it was honky-dory at all. I think it was a terrible night. Can I get a newborn witness up in here? We, we put up all these pictures of Jesus as a newborn with a halo over his head, smiling. I don't think it was like that at all. I've had three newborns, and not one of them smiled on the night they were born. Can I get an amen right there? I think there's stress. I think there's drama. I think there's fear. I think they're tired. I think water is broke. I think Joseph is in trouble because he came up with the bright idea to put him up in a stable. The reason we sing Silent Night is because they were arguing and probably wasn't talking to each other. It was all of that and then some. And this is what I want you to hear. Jesus came into that and brought hope and brought life and brought redemption. And I wonder who here is having a bad night or a bad week or a bad year or a bad life. And here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus doesn't wait for you to fix yourself up, memorize the Bible, learn it in Greek and Aramaic and Hebrew, come to church 77 Sundays a year, do all the religious eye-dotting and T-crossing, and then he says, now you can be one of mine. Let me bear witness of the gospel. Jesus is the God who does not say, clean yourself up and then you can come in. Jesus is the God who says, come in, and I will clean you up. 
And this is what he did for Joseph and Mary. He didn't wait for them to figure it out. He didn't wait for them to all of a sudden become perfect Christian people. He came into that situation and brought hope. Who here brought a situation that you need Jesus to bring his hope to? Think about this. Number one, they're tired. Okay, they're tired. Galilee to Bethlehem, that's 90 miles on foot. Okay, ain't no Uber, okay? All right, that's you leaving Southwest, banging a left or banging a right on 111. You head down to Monterey, kick a right to the I-10, and you go up the mountain, around the river, and through the woods, all the way to Anaheim, but it's Bethlehem. So imagine Anaheim is Blythe. And even people in Blythe don't want to be in Blythe. You know what I'm trying to say? The whole idea is that they are exhausted. Not only are they tired, they are stressed. Imagine finally getting to your destination and Motel 6 did not leave the light on. You have to go and camp out in a stable. On top of being tired and stressed, they are also pregnant. The, the water has broken. She's got a baby. I don't think Mary's happy that night. I think Mary's begging God that her baby won't die. She's tired, they're stressed, they're pregnant, and they're oppressed. You see the word registration four times in the passage. What this would have meant is that Caesar was making everybody go to their hometown so he could count everything they had, every livestock, every penny that they had, all of the land that they owned so he would know how to tax them to the fullest. When the first century Palestinian heard registration and got that in the mail, what that would have spelled out to them is that my life is about to get worse. And here's the gospel. Jesus doesn't wait for you to figure out how to fix your worse. He comes into the worse with you and he shows up for you. Friend, what is your worse tonight? For some of you, your worse is this. Ricky, tomorrow there's going to be an empty chair at the dinner table for the first time. Someone I love, I lost. And worse, someone I love left me. For some of you, your worse is this, this economic this economic climate that they're predicting, I don't even know how I'm going to survive it. Some of your worst is this, Ricky, my country's falling apart and I don't know what else can happen to save it. Some of your worst is this, my family is going through it. We are estranged. We're not speaking to each other. It's never been this bad and I don't know that we can overcome it. You have all your situations that we have brought to this place and there are those who are saying, Ricky, I got a boss I can't please. I've got a marriage I can't fix. I got a child I can't save. Here's the good news. Jesus does not have his arms folded and saying, okay, good luck. Figure that out and then you can be mine. He's here saying, you can't handle this by yourself. You can't figure this out by yourself, but look what I did for Mary and Joseph, and I'm not done being a blessing in dark times. Open your heart to me and let me come in. That's the gospel. You see, God doesn't wait for your story to become a perfect story before he comes in. He comes into your chapter in the dark of the moment and says, let me turn this thing around. C.S. Lewis said it best when he said that if you had the Shakespearean character Hamlet, and if you looked at his context, there is no way that Hamlet can do anything to introduce himself to Shakespeare, his creator, no matter where he looks at in his world. It's in a house or in a church or even in outer space. Hamlet can do nothing to get to his creator. The only way that Hamlet can meet his creator if his creator has the compassion to write himself into Hamlet's story. And this is the gospel. 2,000 years ago, there was nothing that you could do to reach your creator, but a greater than Shakespeare creator wrote himself into your story. And my question is this, will you let him in?
to your story tonight. How will you respond? How will you respond? Friend, can I say something frank to you? You can respond. I'm a black preacher. Your amens ain't gonna throw me off at all. If I can say something frank to you, you need to be saved. You need to become a Christian. You need to give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. It is a holistic expression of peace, the likes of which you shall ever otherwise know. Friend, 2,000 years ago, let me tell you, if what mankind needed was information, God would have sent us an educator. If we would have needed technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If we would have needed money, God would have sent us an economist. If we would have needed national stability, God would have sent us a politician. But what we ultimately needed was forgiveness. So God sent a savior. And if you don't know him, you need him today. You know, it's interesting. Um, The Bible says there was no room for them in the inn. And the innkeeper has always been, for 2,000 years, the villain in the story. Right? Like, what an idiot. If there's anybody you should have hooked up with a room, is the guy you're going to need to hook you up with a room in eternity. Smelling what I'm stepping in? What a loser, okay? I mean, he's right up there with Herod. He's just like an innkeeper. What were you thinking? And maybe in God's sovereignty, he allowed the innkeeper to not make room so that future innkeepers who are charged to keep over a heart would make room. And I heard the carolers saying, let every heart prepare him room. Do you know that you know that Jesus is your Savior? I want to give you an opportunity to accept him tonight before we sing Silent Night and go. Would every head bow? And would every eye be closed to honor this moment of personal prayer for everybody in this room? If you've heard the gospel that Jesus says, you don't have to worry about cleaning yourself up and then come in. But behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone let me in, behold, I shall enter and be with them. You've heard this gospel whereby Jesus says to you, come in and I'll clean you up. You'd like to put your heart and life in Jesus' hands. With every head bowed and every eye closed, simply pray these words. Jesus, thank you for coming for me. Thank you for coming near. God, I'm broken, and Lord God, I'm encumbered by my sin. Father God, there's a God-shaped hole in my heart that only you can fill. But Father, I believe this gospel that says you died for my sins. And God, on the third day, you rose again for my justification. And if I will put my trust and faith in you, Lord, I shall know life brand new. I shall have a peace that passes understanding. And when I close my eyes for the last time and breathe my last breath, my last day will not be my last day. But rather, my last day will really be my first day. And enjoy everlasting. Jesus, come into my heart and save my soul you pray that prayer, would you just show it? Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you pray that prayer tonight, would you just raise your hand and say, yes, I pray that prayer and I accepted Jesus Christ into my heart tonight. God bless you. I see about maybe 15, 20 hands and we thank God for you. And we've got a gift for you out in the front as you exit your way tonight. 
And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And every heart said, amen. amen.